This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Curtis Tate. In the House today, the bill to officially rename the Department of Health and Human Resources has now passed both the House and the Senate. Bills increasing penalties for child abuse and candidate residents passed third reading. Randy Yowie has the story. Committees from both chambers reviewed 720 pages of state code verification in the bill renaming the DHHR to the Departments of Health, Human Services, and Health Facilities. A bill increasing criminal penalties for child abuse and neglect passed the House for the third regular session, the floor vote 96 to 0. Besides parents, guardians, and child custodians, Delegate Doug Smith, a Republican from Mercer County, explains that House Bill 4302 also includes persons in a position of trust in a relation to a child, such as a daycare worker, as subject to the penalties upon conviction of child abuse or neglect. It, it adds those in because those people are responsible for our children, uh, same as any adult would be, uh, father, mother, grandparent, and we need to protect an, an all-around inclusion of for the protection of the kids. We, we just got to have, have it apply across the board to for the child abuse. That child abuse bill now goes to the Senate, where it has not passed in three previous times. Following a Kanawha County lawsuit filed last year over a state Senate candidate not meeting residency requirements, House Bill 4428, requiring electronic verification of candidates to live in the state or local election district for the office which they are seeking, passed 96-0. Delegate Kaylee Young, a Democrat from Kanawha County, spoke in support of the bill. I'm going to support this bill. I think it's great that we're electronically verifying this information. I know there was a case in the last election where someone's address wasn't verified and then they were sued later. So I would hope that this body or maybe the one on the other side of the chamber would include bringing those things in so we can stop some of those things on the front end. But I'm going to support the bill. Thank you. The candidate residency bill also now goes to the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yoey on a bill today that makes it a felony to give someone drugs that can cause them to die. The chamber introduced other bills today and sent the Controlled Substances Act, SB 219, over to the House of Delegates. Brianna Heaney has the story. Senate Bill 219, the Uniform Controlled Substance Act, states that any person who delivers a controlled substance to someone who subsequently dies from an overdose of that substance will be charged with a felony. It also requires someone to seek medical assistance for an overdose if they were using a controlled substance with that person. Senator Charles Trump says if someone who has been using drugs with an overdosing person fails to seek medical assistance, then they can be charged with a felony. This bill would add to the law is the definition of the phrase, seek medical assistance. Quote, seek medical assistance, close quote. And that means contacting the 911 emergency system, a poison control facility, any type of a first responder, 
a medical facility or a medical professional capable of treating an overdose. And in the case of an opioid overdose, to administer or cause the administration of a commercially produced and medically recognized opioid antagonist, that is uh, Narcan. The Senate also introduced 13 bills on a range of topics, from prohibiting racial discrimination based on certain hairstyles and textures, known nationally as the Crown Act, to providing a cash bonus in exchange for unused personal days. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Tourism industry partners and organizations from across the state gathered today at the Capitol to recognize Tourism Day. Brianna Heaney has the story, and she found a potentially underserved market. Senate Resolution 7 designates January 22nd as Tourism Day at the Capitol. Senator Mark Hunt voted for the resolution and says that last year tourism had its highest recorded economic impact. Tourism showcases the natural beauty of West Virginia and what it proudly offers our West Virginia citizens and visitors to our state. The Mountain State has four beautiful seasons which provide unique opportunities to experience West Virginia. Our natural paradise is home to an array of world-class tourism establishments that promote culture, art, and history. Our terrain is encompassed entirely by the lush Appalachian Mountains that invite you to experience some of its best trails, lakes, mountain overlooks, rivers, visited each year by millions. The importance of tourism to West Virginia can be seen in all of our small rural towns, metropolitan areas, where tourism-related businesses welcome visitors each year, helping their local economies flourish and, and contributing to their, to their communities. West Virginia has the highest per capita rate of people with disabilities in the nation. One in three West Virginians has a disability. Eric Thompson, founder and director of Access On The Go, says there is a need for more accessible recreation in the state, like adaptive skiing and adaptive mountain biking. We could do a lot better job catering to that market to be able to use um, do that economic development there. And again, um, it's a win-win situation because it's not even really costing uh, money since there are tax incentives available. For small businesses, it's up to $20,000 a year to pave parking lots, do entrances, do bathrooms, and share what you're already wanting to share just with everybody. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. The Gas and Oil Association of West Virginia held its winter meeting last week in Charleston. I stopped by and filed this story. The state's gas and oil trade group gathered in the ballroom at Charleston's Marriott Town Center to hear presentations on the current conditions and future opportunities in the sector. Gas and oil demand, along with prices, rose in 2021 when the national economy rebounded from the COVID-19 pandemic downturn. Higher demand and higher prices resulted in increased severance tax revenue for West Virginia state and local governments. Now prices are down and gas is oversupplied. But Jeff Eisner, the association's president, says two things should help. First, the pending completion of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Second, the Appalachian Hydrogen Hub, or ARCH-2, which will use some gas to produce hydrogen. Well, we're really excited about the completion of the MVP pipeline uh, that should come online in the next few months, sometime later in this year. And, um, you know, there's going to be some presenters today talking about microgrids and hydrogen hubs. Um, so, so exciting topics that are going to come up. Um, you know, market conditions are pretty bad. Uh, we're oversupplied nationally and within our basin. So um, we're, a lot of talk about how to increase demand for natural gas. 
The Mountain Valley Pipeline, or MVP, is delayed and over budget because of court challenges from landowners and environmental groups. The 300-mile pipeline extends from north-central West Virginia to southern Virginia. Eisner says it will open up new markets for the region's gas. You know, with technology improvements that the industry's made over the last decade, couple decades, um, we've been able to extract a lot of gas, but you got to put it somewhere. And so our storage numbers are full, which is suppressed markets, uh, but the MVP pipeline will help get some of that gas to market and allow uh, some competition of energy for those markets. Arch 2 is one of eight regional hydrogen hubs created through an $8 billion Department of Energy program funded through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which President Joe Biden signed in 2021. Charlie Bird, the association's executive director, says it's an opportunity for gas. The hydrogen hubs that were uh, announced recently uh, will be transformative if they can be accomplished as they were intended to be accomplished. Uh, New regulations or interpretations of the regulations could hurt those just a bit. And so we continue to work with Senators Manchin and Capito to make sure that, uh, that the original intent of that legislation is carried through. But actually, an, uh, hydrogen will, will be a real fuel of the future. Whether it's used to produce hydrogen or electricity, gas emits carbon dioxide. Proposed federal regulations would require companies that use gas to capture and store the CO2 emissions. Bird says sequestration, the storage of CO2, depends heavily on geology. Well, uh, the, uh, the whole key to that will be the sequestration of carbon. And uh, they announced a project that I believe was out in Utah or out west where they sat right on top of a major salt dome where you can, where you can sequester uh, the carbon. Uh, back here, it's going to take pipeline construction, it's going to take a little bit of innovation and ingenuity to find the developable sites to be able to sequester the carbon. And um, uh, we look forward to the challenge of doing that. Other presenters noted that renewables are the lowest cost form of electricity, though gas currently dominates the U.S. electric grid. Industry experts envision that gas and renewables together will meet the country's energy needs for years to come. Dozens, if not hundreds, of bills have been introduced in the legislature that involve education. Randy Yowie spoke with Senator Amy Grady and Delegate Jeff Stevens about what some of those bills mean for public education in West Virginia. Education is the subject today, and with me here in the, our nice cavernous <laughs> rotunda studio is uh, Senator Amy Grady, who is chair of the Senate Education Committee, and Delegate Jeff Stevens from Marshall County, and both of you are teachers. Uh, Delegate Stevens is eighth grade, if I'm not mistaken, yes. and West Virginia Studies. West Virginia Studies. And yes. Senator Grady, you're still teaching the fourth grade there in Mason County, yes. right? Yes. Um, so let's start with, uh, I guess the elephant in the room is discipline, school discipline. Been talked about a lot. Senator Grady, I'll start with you. There were some bills passed last year that were supposed to deal with the problem. It sounds like they're not working and you may have something new to offer. So first of all, uh, how serious is the problem from what you see and hear? 
this, the problem is serious. And what we're, the bill we passed last year, Randy, was um, House Bill 2890, and it dealt with 6th through 12th grade. And so what we're looking at is changing that one a little bit because it's not working the way it is, but also adding something for K-5 because we're seeing kids at a younger age coming in. And I'm not talking about what we used to see when I was growing up and probably Delegate Stevens, you know, just an ornery kid. We're not talking about that. We're talking about kids who are assaulting, throwing uh, computers across the room, um, screaming, having emotional outbursts that's causing an unsafe environment for the other students in the classroom. And you're seeing that in kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and teachers are burnt out and they feel like their hands are tied. And what other profession can we say that somebody is expected to be assaulted and be okay with it? None. But as teachers, every day, you know, you could be assaulted by a student, a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and just have to deal with it and move on. And that's not okay. So what's the core of what we could do to help teachers uh, solve that problem? A lot of teachers feel like they don't have support of administration. And a lot of administrators feel like, well, you know, there's a push not to expel kids from school, not to suspend kids from school, because that's not proven to work, right? So we've got to find a way where we're showing compassion for kids that because they're doing this for a reason. You know, when you're that young of an age, you have, that's an emotional issue, probably comes from uh, emotional trauma at home, probably parts of the drug epidemic. I'm sure we're seeing a lot of that right now. And these kids can't regulate their feelings. And so we have to teach them how to do that. But we also have to make sure we're protecting teachers and we're also protecting the students that are in that classroom that are coming to learn and it's 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 a it's a fine line uh, showing compassion but also putting some teeth to discipline um, and I'm trying to perfect a bill I don't know that it'll get there but I that's my goal it's, it's, uh, there's a lot to it they you see it was eighth graders I mean you think about eighth graders you know precocious maybe a little wild there you know I can try to remember when I was in eighth grade yeah. but uh, you say you have a fairly mellow school uh, we do, uh, and I think that stems from a lot of different things. I think it stems from the kids that we get. Uh, I think we're, we're lucky enough to be in a good community, uh, a lot of parent involvement. Uh, I think that that's key. Um, and you know, I know throughout the state, with uh, you know, with our single parent homes and maybe kids that don't go home to the, a regular home uh, on a regular basis, uh, they need a support program because, uh, like Senator Grady said, if this is starting at like kindergarten or first grade, that is not something that they want to do. That's something that they either they see on a regular basis or that's all they know and I think maybe starting with uh, like behavior uh, analysis and getting to the root of the problem because I think a kindergarten or first grader doesn't want to promote violence that's not what they're trying to do but that's what they see um, and I think it starts there at the younger ages I know that you said they had something for sixth to twelfth grade but sometimes once they get to sixth grade it's really tough to break some of those habits and some of those things that they do uh, I think in starting at the younger age I think that, that that's great and something that we should do um, but you know as far as expulsion or as far as you know out-of-school suspensions sometimes that, that's good but sometimes that's putting them back in an environment that that's where they're learning those things so we have to come up with an idea or a plan to say we're going to provide support for these kids because that's what we're there for I mean that, that's you know now we're educating kids but we have to be there to support them as well um, and I think that's something we need to look at so let's go back to the challenge of crafting the bill challenge I think is probably the operative word. Who are you listening to? Who are you talking to? Uh, who do you have involved? Oh, Randy, I've been listening and talking to lots of people. I'm starting with teachers, number one, uh, because 
the same as Delegate Stevens here. My, my school, we don't have a lot of discipline problems because we're very small rural school, same reasons. Uh, but I'm listening to other teachers who, I've talked to teachers that have been teaching for 25 plus years and they're ready to quit. And it's because of the discipline. It's because of the issues. Um, and, they, and then they say they have supportive administrators, but a lot of times their administrators want feel like they can love a kid so much that it'll change the behaviors. You know, we can show them so much love here because they don't get it at home that it's going to change behavior. And sometimes that helps. And we definitely want to love kids. But sometimes it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever. You know, so we've got to think of a way. There are a lot of counties that have behavioral intervention programs that are working really well. They're expensive. You know, they are. They're expensive. So I've been exploring ways that we can use that opioid settlement money to help encourage counties to set those up in their county if they don't already have one. Um, because even though they're expensive to operate, think about the amount of money you're saving in the long run on that student, especially when they become an adult and they still have these problems. So that those programs can teach them how to um, basically rehabilitate them, you know, teach them how to control their emotions, teach them what they need to know, and so they can operate well in a regular classroom. Yeah, because you talk about using the opiate settlement money and there's so many ways about people talking to use that money but you, you see the point of being that maybe some of these disruptive students have that problem with parents or even themselves, sorry to say, that may have some kind of substance abuse disorder situation, either at home, uh, with mom and dad, with grandma and grandma, who knows what, right? We're at, the, we're at the point now that we're seeing students coming into the system that were born right at the height of that. So you know, most likely, there's a probability that they are affected or they have been affected by it. And so what better to use that money for than to help future generations that have already been affected, but to provide for them to make sure that they aren't, they don't go into substance abuse on their own. Let's talk, well, best of luck. Thank and you. And we'll follow, yes. we'll follow Thank it you. on, yes. on the way you. through. Um, there's a, a, a Teen Social Media Internet Safety Act, Senate Bill 404, which basically tries to limit access by students to age-appropriate material, prohibiting, prohibiting them access to data and information hacking. Do you find a situation in your classrooms, uh, eighth grade or, or, I don't know about fourth grade, or know about a situation where some of that internet system, internet that kids use at school needs to be controlled. Oh, I'm sure there are situations. <laughs> Thank goodness I teach fourth grade. Um, but I'm sure there are situations where some students, you know, students are sly. They, they know how to operate technology. They can get on what they want to get on. But for the most part, counties have things in place that block websites. Um, unfortunately, YouTube is one that's not really blocked and it's kind of open if you know how to use it. But, uh, I, you know, I don't, I think access to technology is really important. So to be really careful about how you, what you block and what you don't. You know, I think that there's a fine line there. So, you know, you might talk to the eighth grade teacher yeah because fourth graders don't really have an issue there, but um, but I could see it being a problem. Yeah, for, yeah, uh, for an eighth grade teacher, I mean, you may have to deal with this all the time. It, it, it is all the time. <laughs> and we do have GoGuardian, and I, I don't want to give the, the, the tip up for the kids on how to navigate around the GoGuardian, but the kids know it. And if they log into things before the GoGuardian actually loads, you, you have access to absolutely anything you want to see. Um, so um, I think we take precautions, and we, we do. Like, we have total access to their iPads. Uh, that's what we use at Shorten. Uh, and we have access, if a teacher even would suspect that a student is uh, looking at something inappropriate, they have total access, and even if they delete history, they delete everything they think they've deleted, it's still there and it's saved. Uh, but I think it, it's a job of a teacher that it changes, your role changes, and that's part of your classroom. If you're going to use the, the technology, you're going to use uh, a, a lot of the internet-based activities, you have to monitor. Uh, just like anything else, you have to monitor students. I mean, if you're sitting in a chair behind a computer yourself, 
are you really doing an effective job anyway, mm. other than if you're up and involved with the students, engaged with the students, uh, and that's what I notice all the time. If you're up and engaged, they're not going to try that kind of stuff. And then once you, if you do catch them, you know, the, the appropriate discipline's taken, and usually you, know, you won't have multiple offenses. Uh, and if you do, then you take further measures. Uh, but I think technology is something that we have to use. We, 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 use, we have some great courses at, at Sherrard. I mean, they do coding. We have robotics. We have drones. We have all kinds of classes that they use this technology, which it's necessary. I mean, they have to use it. So, so again, this is a bill uh, that has to be balanced, has to make sure that, that, that technology that's a good thing uh, isn't abused, uh, isn't abused by the kid and, and, and isn't abused by, uh, yeah, isn't abused by the, the, the student. So I guess there are some firewalls that are up now and we just want to double check and make sure that those are working. If there's something new that works, then put it in, right? And I think, excuse me, I, I think uh, social media is a big one w mm -hmm. with the technology because, it, you know, it's sometimes school becomes the, the social media police and we're not. Like, that's not what we do. But then if it happens in school, now how responsible uh, is the, the school district, uh, you know, in regards to what the kids are posting? I, I just read something the other day that kids, not in our state, I think it was in Kentucky, they were making TikTok videos in the bathroom, and they were taking like 15, 20-minute bathroom breaks and making TikTok videos. So um, <laughs> uh, that, that, that would need to be addressed. Doesn't but of the course, TikTok just last six seconds? It, it should, but they're like 15, 20 seconds. But they have to read. If you ever see the kids do it, they do them over and over and over again just to perfect them. I don't know if you see kids in the fourth no. grade making TikTok not, video, not in <laughs> it's pretty interesting after school if you see the kids and, and, and they really enjoy when you, when you yeah. go up and you know you get involved mm -hmm. with them but during class time that, that's not appropriate use of technology when I have uh, to do a stand up in a TV story sometimes I'll do it eight nine times anyway so I yeah. understand it you know I think it's more important Randy that we focus on teaching kids how to be safe on the right. internet right, than, right. than limiting their access more of teaching them what is safe safe interactions and things like that because social media you know they're exposed to so much at home that we can't control so if we educate them on how to use it safely I think that's more important. Let's jump around a little bit. Um, House Bill 4242 establishes a commission on American history enrichment, basically providing legislative findings relating to evaluating history lessons for courses that are more inclusive of the his history of historic minorities in West Virginia. There was a lot of history and historics in there. <laughs> well, but basically, it's it, it's a should they get should you create a, create a commission that will look into making sure that minorities are more included in the West Virginia history that is taught to students? Uh, I don't know enough about that bill to say yay or nay. Uh, it sounds like it's something that's okay. You know, I don't, I don't see that there would be any harm in including minorities, more history about minorities in West Virginia. You're teaching West Virginia studies, so that's right up your alley. What do you think? It is. And I, th there's part of our curriculum that deals with uh, like American holidays or, or like holidays. So that's where I always put them into, uh, you know, to get it into West Virginia studies. And I know that uh, Mr. Gatz also does a lot uh, with his sixth grade with American history. Um, and then, of course, seventh grade is the world civilizations. Um, so, of course, you get to learn all about the world. They're ancient civilizations, but you still get to learn about other cultures there uh, as well. There's a, a bill that's, that is, abolishes the standardized testing. Uh, I talked to the delegate that was a sponsor of the bill. She said that uh, it, it's not useful in schools, that, that it's a waste of time for teachers and students, that it doesn't measure anything. And I asked, I said, do you have, so, did you have any qualifications? Do you have any research or the back that? She goes, I've got five kids. That's my <laughs> research. Uh, and 
I don't know. So standardized testing, that, that's a bill that may not see the light of day or, or might it? What do you think? Uh, I've always been a big proponent of uh, growth, monitoring student growth. You know, if I, have a, if I have a fourth grader that comes into my classroom at the beginning of the year and they're on a second grade level and they leave fourth grade on a third grade level, did I do my job as a teacher in one year? I brought them up a grade level in one year, but they're going to fail that standardized test. I also have students in fourth grade that, are, that have an IEP. They go to a special education teacher for reading, reading on a first grade level. But ready to guess what? They have to take that test at the end of the year on a fourth grade level, even though their IEP says they're on a first grade level. You automatically know they're not going to pass that. So I am a big proponent of looking at growth in students. You know, you get what you get at the beginning of the year. You know, I get a student that's on a first grade level, second grade level. All my kids that come to me aren't on fourth grade level. My job is to bring them up. My job is to do the best I can and bring them up. If they grow one grade level in one year, I feel like I've done my job. So I. I think that's a good idea. By the time they get to eighth grade, delegacy, do, do you find that these standardized tests work? Do you use them and do they advance or detract? Uh, do they do what they're supposed to do? I don't know if they do what they're supposed to do. I, I, I mean, I know why they're created more, I, don't, I think less for students maybe and more for teachers to kind of justify what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, but Senator Grady, I think, put it in, in a great way that growth in students, you, you may get a kid, and we don't see too many, but I know that I have eighth graders that have a difficult time reading. And once you get to the eighth grade, and I just surprisingly talked to a teacher, a friend of mine last night about standardized testing, and she said, I wish they would just do away with it, basically. <laughs> just because, what are you really trying to get out of it? And I said, in, in my stance on it, I said, the administration's held accountable for the scores. Okay, The teachers are held accountable for the scores. But on the other side, the students are not held accountable. But then again, if you look at it, growth is the biggest thing. You know, And I can understand, and I, I know standardized tests are probably not going away. I would like them to. But um, I know they're probably not going away. But more of a growth, like you said, Senator Grady, if we can come together and say, here, let's do this at the beginning and see where a student is and where they should be and how much they've grown over the year. Um, you know, I think that would be much more useful in, in what teachers do and what data we can look at because some students are, are more advanced, less advanced, IEPs. You, you have a, a lot more, uh, maybe they didn't eat for two or three days. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know, maybe they didn't have, so it was five degrees outside, they weren't wearing socks in the morning. Do you think taking a standardized test is probably tops on their priority list? Mm -hmm. Probably not. And, and so, and really evaluate somebody on one test for 45 minutes and to evaluate administration and educators on that, uh, I think that, that needs fixed. Well, thank you. Um, I got a list that long, but we're almost out of time, so we're going to come back to this list a little later on. Yeah. I know that you both have a lot of work to do, and you both teach as well, so we appreciate all the work that you're doing here, you. Senator Grady and, and Delegate Stevens. Education, it's a big topic here at the West Virginia Legislature. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia channel. I'm Curtis Tate. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by 
West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.